Welcome to the Greater Church Podcast. We are praying that wherever you find yourself on the journey, that this message will be an encouragement and blessing to you. And now, here's today's message. The scripture's up on the screen already, so I'm going to go ahead and begin reading. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because, her, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Um, if you're taking notes, and I really want to encourage you to take notes in this message. Trust me. Because uh, it's, it's very practical, and um, it's got a lot of good nuggets for you to write down. Um, the message of this, uh, the title of this message is Christmas Feels. This is going to be part one of that message. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for all that you do. We thank you that we are here in this moment to hear your word, to be near to you, Father, and know the direction that you'd like for us to take in our lives. Father, we ask that as Pastor Chino and myself are up here speaking, Father, that we decrease and that you increase, that um, the words that are spoken through us, Father God, that the Holy Spirit be able to take them and minister to those who are here who need to hear these uh, words and uh, walk out of here with uh, joy and peace and confirmation on their next steps. Father God, we thank you, God, for all that you do in our lives. We give you this word. We give you this day. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Um, So as we were uh, preparing this message, uh, we were talking about uh, a story that happened during summer. And um, Chino... Uh, goes on trips all the time, and he leaves me with my three wonderful kids. Bro, you make it sound like I'm like on vacation or <laughs> no, something. No, he, he's ministering, y'all. Praise he's, the Lord. You know, preaching, respect the man of God, and doing all kinds of stuff, which is great. But I'm still stuck at home with three kids, right? No, I'm just kidding. But what always seems to happen? Kidding, when, not kidding. <laughs> what always seems to happen when I am um, taking care of the three kids and he's off ministering? Something always seems to happen to one of my kids. So it was the middle of summer, and I think he was at the prison speaking, and um, it was summer, so uh, my boys were at home, but my baby girl, she goes, Abigail, she goes to summer camp uh, down the street, and I get a phone call from the summer camp. So any mama out there knows that if, uh, if the school calls you, it could be a number of different things, but when summer camp calls you, it means something has happened right? And it was something big. Um, so my mind, you know, started to wander real quick, but I answered the phone and they're like, can I speak to Abigail's mom? And I'm like, yeah, this is her. And they just go right into it. So Abigail had a little accident. Then my mind went like in overdrive. So I really didn't even hear how it all happened, but I'm thinking like she's broken her neck or broken her arm or broken her leg. There's like all this blood everywhere in my mind is just going crazy in that, right? Um, Needless to say, I don't know what exactly happened, according to them, but bottom line was is that she was playing a game, and she was in her Crocs, 
ended up jumping and slipped or fell or tripped and ripped her big toenail completely off, right? So I heard that and I'm like, oh my God. And I'm still thinking the worst of the worst. And then I hear her kind of in the back and you can kind of hear her crying or whatever. And I'm like, okay, so what does this mean? Like, is it my daughter? Because my daughter, I, I'm just going to say it, she's just a little extra sometimes when it comes to injuries. Um, like any little girl would be, right? You know, it's okay. And, uh, but sometimes it's a little much. And I, I was like, okay, is this something for real? Like, did she really rip it off? Like, is she dying? Or is, you know, can she walk? Like, can she not walk? And they're like, yeah, you really need to come and get her because it got completely ripped off and there's a lot of blood and she's really, really upset. So I'm like, okay, all right, let's go. So immediately I go and I get, I get her. They bring her out. They're literally carrying her because she will not. She's like, her foot's all out. She's like, all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, baby, are you okay? She's like, no, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I already know that I'm up for like a really big conversation because once she gets to that point, it's a little bit difficult to get her to do anything. Anything that she thinks in her mind is like her foot's going to fall off. She's going to die. Everything's, it's a, a whole thing, okay? So I take her home. I bring her to the boys. The boys are there. Like, what happened? And we're talking to her. Okay, an hour and a half later, the girl still would not let me take the bandage off to see what was going on. So I still don't know how, like, what, what this is all about. But eventually, I finally get her to, like, I can cut it off and I get it open and I look at it. The nail is completely gone, y'all. Do we have a picture? Yeah, no, no, oh, we no. don't. <laughs> I'm not doing it to you. We, we really do have a picture, but we're not going to show you. Some, like, Grey's Anatomy <laughs> stuff. That's, like, it was bad. Yeah, yeah. She it was, sends it to me in a text. I'm like, the devil is a lie. Yeah, so it was bad. The funny, the funny thing is, is as I'm thinking about this, this she, she's, like, going through this thing. It took me another 30 minutes because I'm trying to clean it, because that's what they told me I needed to do, and she wouldn't let me clean it. So I give her, I tell her, I'm trying to talk and reason with her, that reasoning, like, listen, if you don't let me clean it, it's going to get infected, then I have to take you to the doctor, you know, the doctor, they're going to put a needle in there, and then they're going to start cutting in this and all this stuff, and, 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 and you know, it's going to be bad, so just let me do this right now, right? Well, she was not. So at this point, I'm like, Ramses and Levi, you're going to hold her down. I'm going to take the the, the, the and I'm going to clean and do what I got to do and she can scream like... If Nowadays, that's abuse. I know, but... <laughs> Jesus, it's been Wasn't that hours. when we were kids? We had a fever going to cold shower. We're going to hold you. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's been two hours already and at this point, I needed to do something or she was going to, you know, have an issue with her toe. So, I have the boys start to hold her down and as soon as they hold her down, she's like, no, mommy, no, mommy, just cut it off. <laughs> like... The entire toe she's talking about. Okay, guys, she's not talking about the bandage. She's saying, just cut my toe off. Because at this point, she feels that it's less than having to go through, like, the cleaning process, the healing process of, of that. And it was funny because as we were talking about that, uh, we typically feel that way sometimes when it comes to healing, especially with mental health, with depression, with anxiety. You know, th there are biological issues. There are genetic issues that people have um, that, that struggle with depression and anxiety and things that happen in our body. But if we, we allow that, that, that biology, those genetics, that DNA to be the only thing that we uh, are, are looking at, we can miss out on the healing that's available. If we just say, well, just cut off my head, but well, then you're going to miss out on life, right? 
Just like Abby, just cut off my toe. Well, you're going to miss a toe. You're not going to have good balance. You can't walk right. There's all these things that come with it. But so we're, we're in this series and we're talking about Christmas feels because we want to talk about the emotions that sometimes come along with Christmas. Sometimes it can bring depression for some people. Sometimes it brings a lot of anxiety for parents and mothers and others. And, and we want to just un, want to unpack this today. And, and, and express, you know, you know, depression and anxiety and those mental health issues that some people have or some people don't have, um, it's, it's, a, it's not a malfunction in your brain. It's a signal. It, it doesn't mean that your brain is just broken and it can never be fixed. It's a signal that there's something going on deeper inside. Depression isn't a stigma. It's, it's not a, a place where it's like you're marked with disgrace because you're dealing with this. Um, so I, I wear glasses, right? I, you see that I wear glasses. And, and, and that's just proving that there is a part of my body that is not working at peak efficiency. Like, without it, you're just a bunch of blurs. But when I put it on, I can see clearly. So does anybody in this room, if, if I ask for a raise of hands, think that I am any weaker now compared to yourself because I'm wearing glasses? right? There's not a weakness. It just means that there's something that's inside of me that isn't working properly. And that doesn't mean because in that weak area area that I can't become stronger. I can go to the doctor and get a prescription and become stronger. I can do some things and have some tools where that I can make this weak area inside of me stronger. Because guess what? The illness of me not being able to see, the illness of Having depression or anxiety is not my identity. It, and what I'm feeling is not who I am. That's right. When, when you think about the Christmas feels, right? As my wife mentioned, it's a, a plethora of emotions. Some of us is excitement. Some of us is stress. Some of us is anxiety. Some of us is depression. Some of us is anxiety. What I want you to understand and what we're trying to thesis of what we're trying to do is that God wants you to be free. He just doesn't want you to live in that. You don't have to find, as my wife says, an, identif- an identity. My mom used to say, she always used to get mad and yell. And she used to say, you know, non-Christian cuss words. And I used to... <laughs> And, and I'll say, Mima, you got to change. He's like, yo soy a mi manera. I am my way. This is who I am. I am, this is who I am. And I'm like, that's not who you are. You can change. And so I believe when it comes to mental illness, when it comes to depression, anxiety, God wants to see you free. I mean, he, I promise you, he wants to see you free. Galatians uh, chapter five, verse one, it said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. When we look at the Bible, the Bible is super transparent, right? We're going to pull some stuff out of here, but we're also going to cross some lines here and talk, I think, very transparently. Why? Because the Bible is super transparent. There are things that you read in the Bible that you're like, yo, you can catch this on a Netflix episode. Like, I mean, this is like, there's seasons of stuff that you're just like, he did what to who? And said who to what? I mean, there's just, there's some stuff in there. Uh, uh, Jeremiah, we love him. He's the, the crying, the weeping, they call him the weeping prophet. He wrote a whole book called the Lamentations. It's the book of sad. You know what I mean? It's just like, some of y'all just, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't read that book. I, I'm too happy-go-lucky. The world is like, everything's burning. I'm like, that's great. We can make s'mores. You know what I'm saying? I'm like one of those type of people. The book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 17 through 20, it says, I have been deprived of peace. You ever felt that? You know what I'm saying? It's like, 
man, it's just all I want. It doesn't matter how much money. It doesn't matter how much you do. You just, you just feel like peace. Like, man, I just want, I just want peace. And even if I escape to the room by myself, like I, I'm just deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Nothing I do works. Nothing I do works. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I have hoped from the Lord, God can't even help me. I don't know if you've ever been there where you just feel like my problems are too big, not even God can help me. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness of and the guile. I remember them. And then it says, my soul is downcast within me. Man, I'm depressed. I just feel depressed. Paul in the New Testament, this is the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I mean, a warrior. I mean, Paul. This is the apostle, the man of God. I mean, this dude is the legend of all legends. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, it says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia, where we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure it. I can't take it. I've been in these spaces where it just feels like, man, I just, the pressure is like, this comes and then my boss said this and then my wife is here and then I go home and I forgot that I needed to do that for the kids and then I'm like, dude, I forgot about that bill and then I'm talking and then I'm like, oh my God, I still told that. And I mean, just the pressure of feeling it and it feels like you can't endure it. And then he says, so that I, so that we despaired of life itself. Let me give this to you in layman's term. I want to die. I want to die. It just feels like everything is on top of me in these moments of just stress and pressure that Paul himself was in the space where he was just like, bro, I just, we, we thought it was over. Joseph, as we read in the scripture, um, Jesus is, uh, is introduced in the Christmas story and it's so beautiful. Uh, we put up Christmas lights and Christmas trees and so awesome. We, we celebrate. But dude, the Christmas story is ratchet as heck. I mean, yo, listen to me for a second. We're talking about a dude that was engaged with a chick and he's like about to marry her. And then she's like, oh, my God, babe, I got something to tell you. I am pregnant. <laughs> Who would have thought? But then she says, but don't worry about it. It's, the, it's, it's God's baby. You're crazy. But you ever would have told me something like that. <laughs> Sorry. You, you made me drop my phone and everything. If you ever, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, babe, I'm pregnant. It's God's though. Don't worry about it. It's okay. What? No. There is no no. We, we tend to skip over the fact that Joseph, the Bible says that he began to think about these things in his head. And we, we pass through it so fast because we're like, oh, the Christmas Jesus, you know, ding, 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 jingle bells. And we forget about the fact that he was, he was to the point that he was like, yo, everything that I've worked for, I love this woman. I'm about to end it. I'm going to divorce her. Like, think about the dark space that Joseph was in. It wasn't an easy space. It wasn't an easy place for him to be at. The Christmas story, this thing, Jesus' birth, and I could go down the list. There were several instances where the Christmas story is not as happy and go lucky and filled with all of the, the, the cheer and the joy. The, the birth of Jesus, the beginning of this thing, was something that was really, really strong. But I want you to understand that, as my wife mentioned, depression is not a, it's not a stigma. It's not a malfunction. I believe that it's a, it's a, it's a signal. In fact, I want you to read this. I, I'll not read this. I want to read this to you. The, the simple definition, simple definition of depression is a constant feeling of sadness and loss of interest, which stops you from normal activities. I think all of us, most of us, and even some of us at some point or another have had that feeling. 
and we know what that feeling is. And so we want to create a tension to be able to show you what this looks like. But then we're going to release it because we're going to give you some practical tools. As my wife said, I hope you write some notes because we're going to, it's going to be 100 miles an hour right now. Yeah. So, so when you're in the middle of these feelings and middle of maybe even a crisis uh, where you can't control and you're feeling this depression or anxiety or anything else that you're struggling with, um, when you feel like you're not as strong as you should be, or you want to be. The question is, is it always boils down to how did I get here? And so we, we were reading a book. It's called, it's called Out of the Cave by Chris Hodges. And um, the reason why I bring that up is because he did a lot of research. He did a lot of research, both Christian and in the secular world, on, on, on depression and anxiety and the things that people go through and why they go through it. And he actually nails down nine different causes of depression. And, and what's really shocking uh, to the doctors and to the people that, uh, to anyone who really does research in this area is that uh, the, ma the majority of doctors in the world and even doctors who are Christian and in the church they both conclude one thing, that almost 80% of the causes of depression are lifestyle choices, and they're not biological. That's, that's pretty huge, 80%. So now I'm not sitting here, and don't take us wrong, don't take this idea wrong as saying, well, it's all in your head, and uh, there's nothing physical going on with you, and you just need to do a bunch of different things about your lifestyle and change those lifestyles um, and then everything is going to be good. No, because including in the list that I'm going to provide to you of these um, nine things, um, it does say that 20% is something that is biological. All right. So I'm going to read through the list and then we're going to give you some practical ideas. Now, if you have some sort of physical or biological issue, we are 100% we are sure that you need to get the help that you need to get. You need to go to therapy. You need to talk to someone about it. If you need medication, take the medication. I got prescription glasses on, okay? It took a prescription. I had to go see a doctor to, so that I can see. So we're not saying stop meds. We're not saying it's all like you can do this and everything changes. But there is some work and there is some responsibility that you need to take to help you through those, those, um, those areas of depression and anxiety. So I'm gonna read the list. And then we'll go through each one of these things um, so that you guys have practical handles on maybe some things that maybe you're doing or not doing that can help you overcome some of the depression, some of the anxiety, some of the struggles that you're dealing with. So the first two are your genes, um, your genes, your genetics, your, your, your DNA. And then the second one is brain changes, okay? So those things come about sometimes because of traumas or because of things that have happened to you. So it's like the glasses. It's like the glasses. The older you get, it feels like I turn I've always been blind. I said this. <laughs> they don't call me Chino because I'm Chinese. <laughs> it's because I squint a lot. But when I turned 40, I couldn't read. Like every time I look at my phone now, I'm like, yeah, but I got you new glasses. So I know. I'm ready for those. They have like a little thing at the bottom where you... Oh, my God. I'm really excited about those. But I think it's even our bodies change. Yeah. Your mind, your brain changes as well. Right. So, so there, there are the genes and, and your DNA and your brain changes. Those are the top two off. There, Those are those things. What we want to talk to you about are the other 
because we think it's important also to do these things as well. So number three is meaningful work. Number four is meaningful values. Number five is comparison. Number six is ruminating and self-talk. Number seven is inability to process pain in a healthy way. Number eight is isolation and loneliness. And number nine, there is spiritual warfare. These are the 80% of things that cause depression, anxiety, and struggles when we choose to do some things in a way um, uh, that aren't, aren't, aren't right. So um, number one, I'm going to talk to you real quick just about the meaningful work and the values um, aspect to it. Your values are your priorities. Meaningful work is work, what you do. But what, what we do on a normal basis, on a daily basis, needs to mean something to you. You, you have to go to work and, and it actually has to make a difference for you. Because if not, you ask anybody, well, do you like what you do? No. Do you want to go to work? No. But when you find something that's like, hey, uh, I love what I do. I'm going to go to work and I'm going to make a difference. It makes it a little easier to do the work. So when there's meaning and you're making a difference, everyone wants to do something that makes a difference. That's why here at Greater, I, I, I didn't say this in the first service, but that's why here at Greater, you know what, we give you an opportunity to serve. We're not gonna push you to serve, but we're gonna ask you to serve. And the reason why is there's plenty of people that you can probably go around this room who serve, that in the mornings, and including probably myself and Chino at certain times, are like, man, it's Sunday, I don't wanna get up. I don't wanna go serve the church, I don't wanna go preach, or I don't wanna go do this. But at the end of the day, when we go and we make the step, there is meaning and purpose that comes out of that. When we walk out the door, we feel like a brand new person. We might have walked in sad. We might have walked in frustrated. But we walk out feeling joy, happiness, and uplifted. And, and I, think when, I think when it comes to meaningful work, I think we need to look at it. Well, some of us, we have jobs. And so we're not giving you an escape now to go come. Pastor said, I need to quit my job <laughs> no. and go to your boss and be like, you ain't even getting two weeks. I'm leaving right now. I ain't no meaning for nothing. Listen. Find, find, find meaningfulness in your job. Find meaningful in work. And for some of us, yo, if I'm honest with you, you have to leave that job. You've been doing it for way too long. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not telling you, don't come over here to Martino, you're going to pay my bills. We don't have a benevolence fund. God bless you. <laughs> we give you turkeys and we have food and we have yes. Christmas gifts. <laughs> but what we want to do is that we want to walk along this journey with you and we want to be real upfront and honest with you. But you got to find purpose because there's times in jobs that I've had that I'm like, yo, I don't want to, I hate this job. And I had no idea the fruit that was being produced at that job and that I can find meaning at that job when I changed my perspective. Yeah, sometimes we trade meaning for means or we change our value for valuables. Sometimes we do that job and we put it all aside because we need it. But, but what Pastor Chino is saying, we need to find meaning. Um, our values are our priorities. We need to put priority to working, just like he said. We need to, to taking care of our family, to taking care of ourselves. But we need to find value in what's something, something good that can come out of that and, and, and make it our priority. Ecclesiastes 4.6 says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Good. Not, ev not everything that is doable is sustainable. So just because you can do it doesn't mean you can continue to sustain it. There's a point in time that you need to say, hey, I'm doing meaningful work, I'm doing it, but let me take a Sabbath. Let me get some rest. Let me take this moment and opportunity to say, I'm gonna stop producing because I need to rest. 
Chino made an example in the first service about, you know, you can be working seven days a week. And when, and when you go to sleep um, and you say, okay, I work seven days straight. I need to take a day off. You take a day off. You sleep. You don't do anything. Maybe you just relax, eat, and re rejuvenate yourself. The next morning, you have a lot more energy to do what you're called to do and what you need to do. So sometimes you got to just take a, a rest. Make it meaningful, make it valuable, but take a rest. Absolutely. And so the third one on this is meaningful work, meaningful values. But then the third one is comparison. And comparison, I think, is something huge. Theodore Roosevelt, he said, comparison is the enemy of joy. And so it, it robs you when you begin to compare yourself with other people. When I was a kid, the girls, y'all just wanted to be like the girls on the magazine. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, you saw the girls, you're like, oh my God, Cosmopolitan, all of that stuff. We only looked at Cosmopolitan for different reasons. But y'all wanted to look like the girls. <laughs> The fellas laughed. <laughs> Y'all wanted to be the girls. We, we, we had our leg kicked up. We thought we were karate kid. You know what I mean? We thought we were Rocky in the hood. I was the only child, so I had a hanger, and I would jump from one room to the other one shooting people because I was Rambo, and I had like a, a sock tied around my head. Um, and, and, but but we, I, we wanted to be these big figures. Yo, the world that we live in right now is so complex because it's not that you want to be these big figures. It's that you want to have Christmas lights like the Christmas lights of your friend that lives in Texas. And you see this person's car and you're like, oh my God, their interior looks so great. I want to have that interior. And you start to see every time that you scroll online, this thing right here is sapping you of energy because you're comparing yourself. Oh my God, that hairstyle. I need to, you know, your hair doesn't go that way. Don't, you can't do that hairstyle, but you're comparing and you're like, oh my God, but what if I did it like with gel? No, stop. That's not your hair. But we, it's constant. Fellas, we're doing the same thing because we're looking at, we're like, yo, that dude has a six pack. I got a one pack. You know what I mean? Like I need to, and and it, it, I mean, it strips us and it's something that creates because then it's laughing now. But then after a while, you're sitting there and you begin to tell yourself, man, I'm worthless. Like, this is stupid. Like, why am I even doing this thing? And you're constantly in your head and you're like, man, I'm not as skinny as her. I don't have as much money as him. I, I don't, I'm, I'm not as cool as them. When in reality, man, God has given you your own race and God has given you your own life. And by race, I don't mean your skin color. By race, I mean like your pace. And here is what, what the Bible says, Galatians chapter 6, verse 4 through 5. Each one should test their own actions that they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. There's something that you, this is what I try to do, especially on Sundays. I am the worst at social media. Um, if you follow me, I'm a horrible follower. I will hit you with Thanksgiving and Christmas and keep it moving. Um, and I need to do better. I know I need to do better, social media team, and I'm going to do better. Uh, but, but I hate social media. I hate having to post and having to catch up with the times and the algorithm. And I mean, I don't want to do none of that junk. But I'll sit here and scroll all day long and fight with you in my head. I'll write comments. You're so stupid, but then I erase it because my wife gets mad. But, but there needs to come a time, and this is something that I practice. It's called selective ignorance. We need to know what's going on in the world. Cool. Take some time to know what's going on in the world, but don't sit there all day long knowing what's going on in the world. Take some time to just be ignorant about it. I don't, I don't need to know everything. I, I need to know how my wife is doing. I need to know how my kids are doing. If you find yourself so caught up in what the world is doing, but not having a clue on how your family is doing, you're finding yourself in a bad space and you're comparing yourself to something that's going to continue to hurt you. So number three is comparison. Yeah, and, and that brings us to ruminating and self-talk. It kind of goes along the same lines. If you're continuing to think about something, continuing to think about it and thinking about it, that's called ruminating. It, a cow is what we call a ruminating animal. And the reason being, this is super gross and this is my worst way 
to, to, to be talking about something like this because I don't like this kind of stuff. But a cow, what does a cow do when it eats? It goes, it goes down to the grass and gets some grass, puts it in its mouth, and then it begins to chew it, right? And it takes forever, and it just chews. It chews, right? You look at a cow, that's what they do, right? You just see it. Well, the funny thing is, it's not funny, what's really gross, actually, is that when they, when they finally get to the point where they swallow it, they swallow it, but then they throw it back up, and then they start chewing it again, right? Stop. I'm going to do it, too. <laughs> Which is really gross, but that's what ruminating is. So when you're on social media and you're like thinking about or looking through people's things and you're like, oh my God, that person did that to me. What are they doing now? Oh, look at her. I can't believe she's with him again. And you're just like, you're ruminating on all these things. You're just thinking about things over and over and over and over again. And you know what happens? It doesn't get any better when you think about it. It goes down and then it comes back up and it just becomes like throw up in your mouth and in your mind. And it begins to break down what your thoughts are. Not only your thoughts about those people and your heart towards those people, but it begins to give you self-talk that is negative. Well, oh, well, she's got those pretty Christmas lights and she met that man that gives her all that money and now I don't have a man and I suck and I'll never get, and look, I'm just too fat and I don't wear the right clothes and my hair's not the right style and I can't even see straight because I have to wear these ugly glasses. And it's like all those self-negative self-talk that comes up out of things, out of these things that you're ruminating on, that you're thinking about, that you're comparing yourself with others about. Brian Tracy has done a study and he says that 95% of your emotions are determined by how you talk to yourself. We are our own worst critic, our own worst counselor. We're the worst for ourselves. I can give Chino grace for doing that thing. But I will, I will beat myself up till I die. You're so stupid. You're so dumb. Why did you do that? How did you do that? Why did, you're so embarrassing. You're this, you're that. And I begin to call myself names. You suck, Lydia. You do this. Why can't you be better? That's, that's the negative self-talk and the ruminating on things that should be that aren't. So what do you do to help yourself in those situations? Well, Philippians 4, 8 and 9 you got to think about the things, the good things that God has given you and the peace of God. In Philippians 4, 8, it says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, you want to start thinking about whatever's true, whatever's noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy. Like, whatever those things are, you want to start thinking about them. And when you find yourself going into negative talk or ruminating thoughts about things that are not great in your life, you need to start taking those thoughts captive and start making them be obedient to what Christ says. And what Christ says is think about what is true. So what is true about you? Yeah, you might be a little bit overweight, but you're still beautiful because I created you. That's what God says. You know what? You might have messed up. And you didn't do that with excellence. But you, want, you know what? You'll get another time and you'll be able to work on yourself to become excellent. You got to take those thoughts and begin to think on the things. And God will bring peace and God will bring joy and happiness. Absolutely. And so you, you want to have meaningful work. You want to have meaningful values. You want to not compare yourself to people. Um, you want to not have these ruminating thoughts. Do you know that a cow, when it chews the cud, um, as my wife was saying, in, in its stomach, 
the food isn't completely processed. So it spits it out to be able to chew it a little bit so that its stomach can process it. And then it goes through this. And so what would seem to us as like, yo, that's super disgusting and it's true. It's actually a way to properly process the food that they're eating. And so with us, what happens, and the reason why a lot of us, the signals goes off, our wires get crossed, depression, anxiety, the reason why we deal with mental health issues is because we have an inability to process things correctly. And so things happen to us and we accept them. For some of them, we identify with these things. And what we don't do is that we don't learn how to actually process them. There's a healthy way to process stuff. And then there's an unhealthy way to process stuff. For some of us, an accident happens. Something happens to us. And before you know it, you're sitting there and you're probably on your third or fourth marijuana cigar. And you started with just, I, need to, I just need a cup of whiskey because I just need to chill. But now you're drunk driving to the liquor store to go buy another bottle because you, you went too far. And before you know it, you're doing all these things. For some of us, it's just another sex capade. We have to call our ex because we're like, I can't have sex with anybody, but I know she'll let me. And so we're doing all of these things and I'm being real upfront with you because it's true. For some of us, that's super graphic, Chino. And I mean, that's, that's a lot of stuff that I don't do. Yeah, but you will binge watch so many shows where you'll completely disregard all of your responsibilities and you'll sit in front of the TV because what you're doing is that you're medicating yourself because you haven't properly processed what you're going through. And you have to have a time to be able to process what's happening. Do you know that during the pandemic, it was one of the worst times um, in the history, uh, modern history that has happened um, in our church. I remember the, on a Thursday, we got the call and they told us, hey, you can't. We were meeting at a school, Barbara, uh, Middle, school, Barbara Middle School over here in Cobb County. And they told us, you can't come back on Sunday. And we had to pack everything up and thank God for an individual friend of ours, Pastor Sean Jazik from Thrive Chapel that was down the street here on 92. And we got to record our first service there. And you know what's crazy? Um, we've been in this building for about a year and some change now in this building. During the pandemic, March of 2020, we actually, if you take this, 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 uh, this room and you go right there to the big room where our lobby's at, um, where you go to sign up if you want your kid to sing on the choir or if you want to wrap gifts, um, right there, we actually set up a, Lydia set up a, a film studio wasn't good. Yeah. She had Warner Brothers in that mug. You know what I mean? I think it was like Nunzi who was leading worship, Brianna who was at the food bank. It was a couple of us and we, hey, welcome to Greater Church. You know what I mean? We had Jason and Allison preaching. It was like, I mean, we, we, we made it happen. But it sucked. And I mean, it was, it was horrible. Do you know that during March, drug use went up 19%. By April, a month later, drug use and overdoses went up 29%. By May, it had gone up 42%. People were finding themselves at home. They gained the quarantine 15. They turned into 30. Now it's 45. And you're just like, I lost count. It doesn't matter. And what happened, though, was that we didn't know how to properly process it. And so we were doing things to actually help ourselves. Sigmund Freud, he's a, a theologian slash counselor, psychologist, intelligent psychologist, all of this stuff. He says the point of life is pleasure. Just have fun. Enjoy it. Let pleasure, let, just enjoy your life. Well, that will lead you down a really, really, really bad, bad, bad path. Because the more you try to please yourself, the more you understand that that's a fleeting pleasure. You can't please yourself. And when you get to that final spot, you're going to be like, I thought this is what I wanted. And in reality, it's not. Uh, Victor Frankl. Victor Frankl was a psychologist and most of his uh, clients or the people that he dealt with were individuals who had either been in the Holocaust or they lost family because of the Holocaust. This is where the Nazi Germans took Jews and they were able to, they literally murdered them by the millions. And so a lot of his clients were coming from those concentration camps or lost family because of those concentration camps. One 
100%. of the individuals that he dealt with all dealt with suicide. They all wanted to kill themselves. Victor Franco had individuals who had watched other people die or they themselves had been affected in some way. Sigmund Freud says it's pleasure. How do you preach pleasure to that person? What he did was that he created a thing. And I know I have several therapists who are in the building. There's a, there's a, a, a strategy or a way to, to, that's, that in therapy that it's done that's called logos therapy. And this was coined by Victor Frankl. And what he tells you is these three things. He says, if you can find meaningful work or find meaning in your work, if you have a community of people, individuals around you that you can actually do life with, and if you can find purpose in your pain, you're going to start to watch as God begins to use you. I remember that uh, for some of you, you heard my story um, and in next steps, I'll share my story in more detail. But man, I lived a life that was wild up until my teenage years. I was a gang member. I'd made some really bad mistakes and I paid pretty high cost for those mistakes. When I was 19 years old, my life completely changed. And I remember that I encountered Jesus in some of the most darkest places that I would ever imagine. I met Jesus and his light came and shined in the middle of the darkness. And from that moment, my story, the pain, the hurt, the things that I experienced, I have gone all over the country to present this thing. My wife was talking about I was going out of town. I'm going out of town sharing and making the devil pay for everything that he did to me in my past and making him pay now for everything and watching young men and women come to know Jesus because of the pain. So there's finding purpose in the pain. There is a way for you to find purpose in your pain. And Victor Frankl talks about this. Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. Yeah, that's right. So the goal of life is purpose and it's meaning. If a man has no purpose and meaning, then he will dull his pain with pleasures. So this logo theory, therapy um, that Pastor Chino mentioned, you know, it talks about meaningful work, talks about community of friends, and then find purpose to your pain. Um, so the next one I wanted to talk about was isolation and loneliness. In the therapy, it actually says find a community of friends because we right now in this generation are, are probably the most loneliest of generations. And, and, and it's, it's weird because even like they do studies and stuff and they say like 90% of pastors say they're lonely. Say, so how, how can that be? How can we be feeling so lonely? As, even as pastors, I can relate to that. How can you feel so lonely? You got hundreds of people in the room with you and you get to speak into their lives and they're asking you how you need help and they're talking to you and you come to work on, on Monday morning and there's people who come to church and they hang out with you and talk to you and they pray for you and they, how can you feel lonely? Well, we feel lonely is because we feel disconnected. We feel lonely because there's a hundred and thousand ways to connect via social media and Instagram and Facebook, but it's not a real connection. It's, it's, it's that I can look up my friend from high school and not have a conversation with her in six years, but I can know what she's going through. She's got two kids and she's married and she works here and she has this friend that passed away two months ago, but I don't know her or my friend anymore because I haven't had a conversation with them in six years. We are so disconnected. Even during the pandemic, he was, he was mentioning, uh, we talked about, we talked about it. And, and we didn't like the idea of social distancing, but not in the way that you guys are thinking right off. Oh, those, those pastors, they were the ones that had service, right? You know, we couldn't follow the rules with the government. We no. had no building. How are we yeah. going to meet? But even, we <laughs> exactly. But even with that, 
If we had a building, we would still have done it. We just didn't like the word social distancing because social means to come together and connect. Uh, we did everything in our power to continue connecting socially with people. Yes, we physically distanced. Yes, we did our G groups via Zoom, but we still needed to socially have connection so that we couldn't isolate and become lonely because of that. Loneliness isn't being alone. Loneliness isn't having no people around. Loneliness is a condition in your heart because you're not connected. You don't have a community of people that you can draw on, uh, depend on, and ask for prayer. Romans 12, 5 says, so it is with Christ's body, we are many parts of one body, and we are all belong to each other. We are built, we have been created to be with each other, to work as a body, to lift up as a hand and a foot, to walk. And we need each other to be able to do that. And this is why I think it's so important that we have G groups. It's so important because like even this last semester, that uh, season that we had G groups, you know what? I, there was a, a, a G group that Taylor Smith, she, she ran and I was part of it. And it was about having, um, uh, we did a book study on, uh, on an anxious mama's hearts. Because you know what? There was a group of women in the church, including myself, that sometimes deal with being anxious about our kids and our family and our life and the things that we're struggling with. And we got together, and through that community, we were able to help each other. Well, now I've met some new people that are struggling in the same area as me, and maybe I can pour into them. But you know what? Guess what? I'm up here, and maybe they can pour into me. And that's what community is all about. And now I don't feel so lonely in my struggle being anxious about things because I know that I can go to Taylor or some of the other women who were in that group and they can lift me up and they can bring, bring me out of anxiety and maybe help me through that and pray for me. Absolutely. When it comes to depression, mental health, uh, a lot of these things are, are, are produced because of things that we ourselves are doing. Because of habits and lifestyle choices. A couple, as my wife said, genetics, DNA, brain changes. Those are, those are real things that you need real help with. And some of us need medicine for that. Oh, Chino, I don't believe in medicine. Cool. Don't believe in medicine. Um, but make sure that you stop crushing 48 McDonald's trips during the week. And go to bed at night. And stop doing X, Y, and Z. And actually make some changes in your life. And so it comes in tandem. Because it comes through medicine. I think through psychology, having real professionals that can help you, it comes through some lifestyle choices. But I don't want you to escape this fact. And it's the last one, that it is called spiritual warfare. And when you hear the word spiritual warfare, it's like, what just happened right now? We're cool with the fact that God is a spirit. And oh, hallelujah, glory to God. He hovers over the heavens. And we love, we love the idea of God. And that he's a spirit. And we can't see him, but he's like the wind. And I, I, we love that. But what we don't like is when Ephesians 6, Paul starts to talk about that there's organized attacks and there's governments and there's powers. And there's, there's, an, there's, a, there's an organized, orchestrated attack to be able to hurt you. That the enemy's power is found in bringing terror and bringing fear to you. And so when we think about spiritual warfare, this is not some weird kooky thing that the church has invented. It's something that is real. And there is an enemy that is constantly throwing darts and trying to attack you. In fact, I want you to understand you're not a human that's having a temporary spiritual experience in church. I came to church and I'm having a temporary spiritual experience. No, you're a spirit that's having a temporary human experience. I can show you this. One of the verses that I always preach on that I love, Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. It says, before I formed you. Before you were being formed in your mother's tummy, in your womb, in the womb, I knew you. 
So before you were ever a thought, I was thinking about you. Before you were twinkling in your daddy's eye, I already had a plan for you. The Bible says a plan before you were born to set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations that we, we carry this call in us. But it first started as a spirit. And so if we are a spirit, then we have to learn how to war in the spirit. How do we war in the spirit? Let, let me ask you something. How many of you guys, you live with somebody? How many of y'all live with somebody? Family? Raise your hand. You live with somebody. Oh, a lot of people in the room. What, and some of you probably live alone. And, but, but here's what I'd ask you. What if I told you that today, I just, I got a, I got a call because I got some inside tracks. Today at 8 p.m., there is a group of individuals that are going to come to your house they're going to tie up your children. They're going to tie up your family. They're going to rob you of everything and they're going to kidnap your family. You, you might live alone, but your parents or your grandkids or whoever that is, they're going to get tied up and they're going to be hurt. And there's an, or this, this team has gotten together. They got a plan. They got a strategy on how they do it. And they're going to do some harm to your family. You would probably consult the ministry of both your brother Smith and Wesson. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I think like if, if somebody is coming, I'm going to measure the situation with nine millimeters. I'm, I'm going to get real three minutes before 4 p.m. on them. It's 357. That's a 357. 357. Got it. It's a gun. She didn't know that on the first service. She was like, what's a 357? We'll talk about it later. <laughs> Honestly, man, I don't care what side of the fence you are. And I hate politics. And I know when it comes to guns and we, you know, there's some of us are like, oh my God. And some of us are like, you better come take them if you want to. All of that stuff. Whatever you are, I care less. What I do want you to understand is that I guarantee you that if you knew that somebody was coming to do harm to your family, the one thing that you would not do is that you would not fall asleep. But it's crazy to think that we are living spiritual humans. We're spirits that are clothed with flesh. But yet we've fallen asleep completely spiritually. The enemy has attacked you in so many different ways, man. And, and open your eyes and see it, but we, we're just sleeping, man. We're watching it. Yeah, listen, there's medicine and there's doctors. And for sure, there's lifestyle changes that you can make. But that you have to understand that there's also a war that you have to wage in the spirit. That there's something that's a responsibility, but it's not just a responsibility. There's an authority that you have. I love uh, Plato's Closet, as my son mentioned a little while ago. It is one of my favorite places to go. It's like therapy for me on Fridays. You know what I mean? It's either that, I got to go to Melanie. But I love going to Plato's Closet and just walking by. And I'm a, I'm a sniper. I have like, dee, 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 like that type of radar where I know what I want. You know what I'm saying? And it takes me about five minutes. Ask my wife. I'm like in and out. It's crazy. I, it's, I, I know it. And I get really cool stuff. I'm probably completely dressed in Plato's right now, pretty much. Here's the deal. I was in Plato's and I have a problem with it, but I do good with my problem, guys. And <laughs> at this particular moment, you know, I'm it's like 30 bucks a month that I'm spending. But at this particular moment, my wife told me, you can't spend any more money on Plato's, no more money, nothing. We, we have to buckle down. We're trying to save. And I was like, okay, babe, I got it. But I went to Plato's, bro. And I saw these shoes and I was like, bro, I need them, bro. I probably got them in four different colors, but I was like, these, I don't have these colors. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, and I'm like, I grab my phone and I'm like, she's not going to let me. She doesn't let me be great. I'm like, I can't call my wife. <laughs> and so I was like in the middle where I was just like, you know, do I just go and charge the card? I'm the man of the house. You know what I'm saying? Just get spicy with it. But then I was like, dang, I don't know. I was like, she's violent. You know what I mean? I was, Stop. <laughs> she Puerto Rican and Cuban. <laughs> she got a little wild streak in her. So I was like, I don't know. 
And I remember that in that moment, I was like, I was just looking and I was like, which credit card do I use that she can't see? You know what I mean? But she sees them all. She gets alerts for all of them. I hate it. <laughs> and I noticed I found a clean dub in my wallet. $20 for my Ebonics Challenge individual. <laughs> I found $20, bro. And I was, here's the deal. When she sends me out to go buy groceries and she gives me cash, I never spend it. He never gives it back. <laughs> I never, I keep all the change. And then I might just credit card that thing. And I don't do it on purpose. I just, and then I'm like, oh my God, I got $20. I don't know what to do. And I put it in my wallet. Found the $20. I was like, oh my God, I found $20. I was like, oh, this is great. I go up to the front. When I go up to the front, I put my password. And since I go so much, I got all type of discounts. <laughs> well, Laurent, I need the drums right now. Come on. Glory to God. I'm in these and now. So, and, so and so I go up to the front and I'm like, and the lady's like, oh, it's only, it's only about $4. And I was like, for who? She's like, it's only $4. You got your codes and all of this? I pull out the dub. You know what I mean? I'm super like, keep the change. I didn't. I kept the change too. But I, <laughs> I took, took the money. What, what's funny is that I, I had no clue, number one, that I actually had a discount. I didn't even know that I had money. I had been walking around looking and, bro, I was probably there for a good 30 minutes just trying to figure out which credit card do I use? How do I explain to her? Like, what can I do? She's acts of service. So I'm like, hey, babe, I cleaned the house. Can I get $20? I was, and, and unfortunately for some of us, a lot of us in this place, we, we just don't understand that you, you carry authority. There's, there's an authority that God has placed in you, but the past, right? Ruminating thoughts, meaningful values, comparison, it, it starts to strip you of this. And it's hard for you to understand, no, 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 I got authority. Like I'm a man, I'm a woman of God. Like I really do have authority. And we tend to stay and we walk around and we're just like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with this situation. What you're gonna do in this situation is that you are going to do in this situation. The enemy, he is a liar. He is a liar and he falsifies everything that he do. He doesn't know how to do anything else except copy whatever God does. In fact, I'll show you this. First Peter chapter five, verse eight and nine. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Watch this. The enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. I've watched National Geographic's enough to know. I've never seen it where a lion is going to get its prey and eat something. And as it goes to kill it, it's roaring. No, in fact, it's the opposite. The lion's clothing, the lion's skin matches the landscape. And he's walking so ever so slightly. And he's barely making a move. And you'll see him there stand there for a little while. And then he'll slowly start making moves. I've never seen him. Why is it that the Bible is telling us that he's roaring and he's looking for somebody? Because all he has is a big bark, but he has no bite. He can't do anything to you. But if he can bring terror to you, then he can defeat you. The Twin Towers wasn't a matter of them trying to kill people in the Twin Towers. That wasn't the goal of it. The goal of terrorism is not to kill the individuals and that more. Yeah, it's part of it. But the goal is to think it's going to happen to you too. Uh, the same thing. Watch when you're going to the grocery store, a plane is going to land and it's going to kill you. The same thing that happened to them, I'm going to do it to you. And that's all the enemy's doing. Your mom and dad did that. You're going to do the same thing. 
This, that same thing, and it's just constantly, he's just roaring in your ear. But the Bible says that we have to stand firm, that we can actually say, I'm positioned, I have authority, I know what's inside of me. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I know what I got inside of me. I'm not, I am not what I feel. In this moment, I'm going to stand firm. And then we get into what spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul starts to break down all of these different organized strategic attacks that the enemy's trying to do over your life. And then he says something that I thought was really cool. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, as we wrap up the service. Put on. Somebody say, put on. Put on. I put on the armor of my city. Oh, my God. <laughs> Somebody say, put on. put on. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, Chino, it's, it's not all spiritual. It's not all spiritual and prayer, Chino. Like, I'm depressed. And, and you, you make it seem like you could just pray it away. And uh, Listen, what, what I do want to tell you is that, yes, it is spiritual. And, yes, I believe that God can do the work in your life. I believe that when I read this scripture, that God is telling you to pray. And pray, and like we, like we read last week, as you go, as you begin to take the step of faith and you start to walk out as the man who was, uh, who was filled with leprosy, as they went, they started to get healed. It's about taking a step of faith knowing I believe God. The way that we go is the way that we sow. Here's what I mean. Our words have power. The Bible says that at the beginning, God said, let there be. He spoke words in a spiritual realm and it started to come up in the physical realm. We see trees. We saw the sun. We saw the skies. It was words that went out and began to sow into the physical. And then you started to see it. God has given us the same authority where we can begin to open up our mouth and declare the things that are not as though they were. It's called faith. And when we begin to open up our mouth, we start to manifest. We start to see it in the physical. That's why when we pray for a family member, we start to see all of a sudden that their money got funny. And all of a sudden they got in a car accident. And it's not that you prayed against the car accident, but now they're coming to you and they're saying, hey, I want to go to church, man. I need to get myself right. Now all of a sudden the drug addict that you've been lifting up to God and speaking, sowing into the physical, into the spiritual, all of a sudden now you start to watch that they had a near overdose. And it seems scary, but then they're like, yo, I don't want to do this anymore. And all of a sudden God's starting to shift their hearts because you open up your mouth. Do you know that every single morning, every single morning you have an authority, you have a power that you need to stand up with? Paul said, you got to put on the armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, homework for later, I don't got enough time to finish unpacking this, but Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible says, put on the full armor of God. He talks about the helmet of righteousness, the best breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the feet shod with the readiness to preach the gospel of peace, the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. Every single morning, you should be putting on your helmet of salvation and saying, Lord, thank you for saving me. And here it is thought. The enemy is going to try to attack this thing because this is where everything starts at. Once the enemy attacks this, I have the helmet of salvation. I'm saved. I'm sanctified. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm protected. And every thought that the enemy tries to bring, I pray that you would put the helmet of salvation and that you would not allow for him to sow those ruminating thoughts into my head. Father, I got the breastplate of righteousness. My heart and everything that flows from it. This is where the issues flow is from your heart. Father, I pray that you would protect my heart, not with my righteousness, but with your righteousness. Father, I pray today that you would bind me with your truth, that purity would be found in truth. But Father, that you would hold up everything with your truth, that I am your child and I am not my past mistakes. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would strap my feet with the readiness to preach the gospel of peace, that everywhere that I step into, every office building, every family member's house, every job that I step into, let me bring balance and let me bring peace to that place. That when I step into it, that people would sense something different. 
I pray, Father, that today you would help me have this shield of faith. The shield of faith, Paul was talking about it, the Romans, it would go all the way down to the bottom of the feet and then it would go all the way up to the top. And the, the, the people who would fight against them, they would turn back and throw fiery darts at them. The reason they did that is because they were holding the wall, they were holding the, the shields up. And when the shields got hit with the wood, I mean with the, uh, with the flaming arrows, theirs would catch on fire and everybody else's catches on fire. So what they started to do was that they started to soak those shields. And when they soaked the shields, whenever the enemy would try to throw the fiery darts, it would land and it would sizzle away and it wouldn't burn anything. And the way that we dump our faith into the water, which is the spirit of the Lord, is that we actually say, yo, my faith, Lord God, I'm placing it in here. So now when the enemy tries to throw his darts, I am more than a conqueror. I am the head and not the tail. I am strong in you, Lord God. In my weakness, I am yours. You are God. God, I need you to hold me tight and I need you to stand because when he tries to throw them, no, you can't. You're not going to get in here. Yeah, but your dad did that. So what? I'm not my dad, bro. And then you got the final one, which the Bible says is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And here's where you start to get into the offensive. The gates of hell cannot prevail. The violence suffer violence and the violence take it by force. Meaning we move forward. And the way that we move forward is this. This is how we cover our children. As for me and my household, this is how we cover our families, our spouses. We take the word of God and we go into the offensive. We don't worry for the devil to come and roaring aloud. We go forward. As a body of Jesus Christ, together we fight. Prayer. Sowing these seeds into the spiritual and watching them manifest in the physical. It's how we stand. That's how we combat. It's spiritual. It's physical. It's emotional and biological. It's all of them. And today, hopefully, you receive some tools to be able to help you. But the, the greatest tool that I can give you, the best one that I can give you, I think me and my wife, the only one that we can give you that actually we know it works, it's never going to fail you, is Jesus. He will never fail. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's stronger than a roaring lion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. His bite is strong. He defeated death, hell, and the grave with his bite. He's a pretty powerful God. And today, for some of us who walked into this room, we feel like we've been far away from him. Or maybe even this whole thing of Christianity seems like religion to you. And you're like, I haven't done it because I haven't gotten myself right. Today, I want to give you an opportunity not to get yourself right. He does that. I'm giving you an opportunity to accept him into your heart so that he can start the process of getting you right. Because honestly, you keep trying to get right and then come to God. It's a cycle in which you'll never be. It's, it's ruminating. <laughs> you'll try it and you'll do it again. And you'll try it and you'll do it. You can't do it. You need God. You need this first step, which is salvation. Would you do me a favor and bow your head and close your eyes for just a second? Thanks for listening to our podcast today. The mission of Greater Church is to reach and empower all people. We hope that this message met you wherever you find yourself on the journey. If God is using this ministry to impact your life, please head to our website at www.greater.church where you can read a message from our pastors, partner with us by giving online, and learn more about what is happening in the life of our church. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast.